Good morning, afternoon, or evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Little Light Devotions. I'm going to start this episode off with a disclaimer of sorts. We're going to be talking about stuff that's really prevalent in today's society and stuff that is very sensitive to a lot of people and even to a lot of Christians. And it's also something the church is very guilty of. But on the flip side, the world is guilty of a lot of things as well. And the way to handle this must be done as as Matthew chapter 5 verse 5 says, we have to do things meekly or gently. Um, things cannot be done in a matter that appeases the flesh. Things cannot be done in the matter that fulfills your own self-righteousness. And that's what we're going to avoid today at all cost. This is also an episode for my unsaved friends. I come from an area that's uh, really Catholic and also really atheist or practicing atheists. Maybe you might call themselves Christians, but don't really practice much religion in their own personal lives. This is this is an episode for you guys, I think, because I kind of want to slap everybody and then bring everybody back up. That's my, that's my intention today, is to make everybody mad and then bring everybody back up for the right reason. I'm not here today out of a spirit of spite or of anger or of self-righteousness, but I'm here because I know the righteousness of Christ, and I know the love of Christ, and I believe those two things work in tandem. Nevertheless, the world and the church wants to just hold the one. And the context for why I'm making this episode is because of some controversy that's been going around due to a popular rapper, Lil Nas X, who is very popular for, uh, came, came into a, a big popularity in late 2018, early 2019 for his, uh, what I call tractor rap song, Old Town Road. And then continued that with, uh, continued, wrote on his own coattails of releasing this song called Panini, which was a banger. And he just is, he's a talented kid. He really is. He's a really, really talented person, very skilled rapper. And recently he made the news, once again for controversy, um, because he has a controversial past, but that's, that's not what we're here to talk about today. He made the news for this controversy surrounding these quote-unquote Satan shoes. Now, these shoes are made, you know, they're, they're made, they have the Luke 10, 16 verse. It talks about the devil falling from heaven. It has a pentagram, em, like, not emblem. What's the, what's the word? Like, medallion, I guess? I don't know. Uh, on the shoelaces on top of the shoe, which I feel like would be more annoying than anything to walk around with. But whatever you do, you for fashion, I guess. Uh, it's also supposedly having a drop of human blood in it. I, I read that a bunch of places. But I see people trying to refute that, but that's kind of like what he had said himself. Like, I don't know. It's just a lot of stuff, but it, it's just, it's a weird shoe for a weird reason, uh, for a weird music video. And the music video itself is uh, just bizarre. Uh, that's that's the only way to describe it. Bizarre and unsettling. <laughs> that's, that's also another way to describe it. 
And it's mainly pointing to, it, it, it's not him worshiping Satan. I see a lot of my right-wing evangelical friends flying off the handle saying that it's Satan worship. It is not Satan worship. What it is, is anti-God worship, which I know a lot of people want to be like, hey, you know, that just means Satan worship. Okay, I guess in the actual absolute practical sense, worshiping of yourself is in by means of following the ideas of Satan, sure. But it is not progressively trying to reach out to Satan himself and call for his protection and defense. It's basically just trying to be offensive to Christians for the reason of their traditional view of marriage, which consists of one man for one woman for one life. And that extends to things like, hey, divorce is wrong and homosexuality is definitely wrong, which I believe are biblical standards that you can back up. Nevertheless, the church never handles things quite properly when it comes to these particular instances. And so when it comes to stuff like that, you know, you can find you can find a lot of verses in the Bible that deal with homosexuality. I mean, I, I've, I, I actually wrote a whole paper about it for a class because that's something that I, I kept seeing around a lot was people that were saying, hey, you know, this, this, it doesn't really mean that. It more just means child molester. And they would point to Martin Luther's translation of the Greek word arsenikoitai and be like, well, the, the German word that that was used uh, literally meant child molesters. So obviously, you know, Martin Luther knew what he was doing. So, you know, he had to know what he was doing when he translated this word. And that's just a very flimsy stance, just, you know, saying, hey, some guy translated something wrong that supports my opinion. So there we go. Um, I, I'm sorry, I can't believe that. If you look at the Greek word arsenikoitai, which is the Greek word that the Apostle Paul uses to describe homosexuality and what a lot of modern translations just translate as homosexuality. Um, it comes from the Greek word. Uh, if you could split it up between arson and akoitai, it literally means man better. And that's just a colloquial historical form, uh, historical way of saying, hey, this is a homosexual. Like there's, there's nothing really else to it. It's not, it can't really be extrapolated to mean anything else. It is just, it means what it says it means. And there are a lot of other verses that refer to this very same thing, even you're referring to the Hebrew in the Old Testament or even in the Greek as well. It's just, Paul didn't just mention it once, he mentioned it a couple other times. So it's not just one thing or one time, rather. But this is a continuing theme throughout the Bible that God had an intention for marriage to be, but be, to be heterosexual. And that was his intentions for it. And that anything besides that is missing the mark of the intentions of God and is therefore sin. Nevertheless, there's not really any point in the Bible where homosexuality is just beaten on like a drum. And I swear the American churches love to beat on this drum like they are in a heavy metal band. They absolutely love to slam it into the ground. And then they'll turn right around and touch little boys. All right, like, I'm sorry, I can't exactly think that you're doing a very good job portraying the cause of Christ and preaching truth when you turn around and ignore your own laws anyways. You will hear, especially if you come from 
my neck of the woods, the independent fundamental Baptist world, where you have these camps where these preachers will get up there with spit flying everywhere out of their King James Bible, and they'll start screaming about this sin and that sin, and oh, bless God, you better stay away, you better flee youthful lusts, and just throwing spit at the crowd, and making people repent and get saved four times over for looking at porn once and all this junk. And I mean, like, th there can be a biblical basis for that stuff, but then they'll turn right around and be found out that they're, you know, cheating on their wife for the past three decades. And it's like, God, how can you be saying these things and living a totally different life? It was the exact same thing that Christ was getting under the Pharisees for. He's like, hey, the outside looks great, but on the inside, it's full of dead men's bones, a whitened sepulcher, he called it. Like, my goodness, how can you, like, that is biting. And I feel like modern churches with their preachers that just get up there, bless God, they do the same thing as the Pharisees. They are nothing but whitened sepulchers. They'll get up there and preach on their hobby horse of homosexuality all day long till they're red in the face till kingdom come for three and a half hours where the congregation begging just to go to lunch and they're not getting out till he gets done, bless God. And then they'll turn right around and touch a kid. I know I keep going back to that, but a lot of these pastors are not living what they're preaching. And I feel like the more times they're screaming about this one thing, they're hiding something just as vain, just as vile on the flip side. Because homosexuality is never dealt with by itself. It is always dealt in tandem with things like incest and adultery. It's never just the one thing that's being focused on. And a lot of people want to point to the fact that, well, God really views it awful because Sodom and Gomorrah were just wiped out because of homosexuality. I believe homosexuality was one of the sins against Sodom and Gomorrah, but you read the Bible and it says that the whole the biggest reason of Sodom and Gomorrah was their pride in their sin more than just the sin itself. Because it's not the sin itself that God will just up and kill you for, but it's the lack of repentance and the pride in the sin that God will kill for. You, you see that. Um, you see an example of that in 1 Corinthians as, as Paul describes all these sins, mind you, homosexuality being one of those sins, and he says, such were some of you. God will clearly forgive the sin of homosexuality and acting like it is the unforgivable sin that just because there's a gay guy somewhere out in the world, that that just means the world is collapsing. Like, no, I'm sorry, that's just not what it is. It shouldn't be seen as this absolute affront to us personally because it's their life. That's what they're doing with their life. That's their sin. That's their problem. You can get all offended about a person being gay, but do you get offended about the fact that casinos exist? Or that there's some guy buying cigarettes probably somewhere in the U.S. right now? Like, I'm sorry. Defiling your body is more than just having homosexual sex. And anybody that tells you otherwise preaches on their hobby horse, and they do not preach the whole counsel of God. And that I find to be more abhorrent than the world living like the world. Because if there's a Christian that's struggling with sin, one of those sins being homosexuality, you know, I find that to be upsetting, and that person should be admonished in the love of the Lord. But if the world is living like the world, then what are you expecting? I'm sorry, I do not expect the world to be out here just absolutely volunteering at every event, making their communities so much better and living in the light of the Lord and doing all these things and being all spiritual when they have no spirit in them. Like, I'm sorry, I just don't see that. They can try in vanity, but it really doesn't store up anything if they're not doing it in the spirit. Nevertheless, I see those who have the spirit and they don't live like it. I see them have the spirit 
that that glorious love of Christ that saved them, and yet they don't show it to anybody else. It's like that parable that Christ gave about, hey, this guy was forgiven, this servant was forgiven of this absolutely massive debt, a debt he could never repay. And yet he can't forgive somebody for owing him like 15 bucks. Like, I'm like it's ridiculous, guys. Come on. Come on. So I know I've kind of rambled all over the place for a little bit, but I'm kind of setting the stage of exactly how I feel about this. Because I was talking to people beforehand about what I wanted to do with this podcast, and they were either like, oh my goodness, yes, the church just needs to know how it is, that God loves everybody, and there's, you know, he will just always be so favorable of everyone. No, I'm sorry, he doesn't. That's not how it works. God hates sin. God abhors sin. People that are take pride in their sin, God hates that. Bible says, I have loved Jacob, but Esau have I hated. That's a pretty strong word because Esau was not a person that was ever repentant. He was a person that relished in his sin. He was a vain man and a fornicator as the Bible describes. And so when you relish in your sin, God isn't exactly fond of that. Nevertheless, even in his lack of fondness of the sin that you live in, he will still love you and forgive you. I mean, think about this. If my son was involved with, I don't know, drug trafficking, you know, like he was just living a wretched life and getting himself involved in cartels and gangs and running across, absolutely destroying communities by bringing these drugs and whatever. I would not be fond of that. And any time that I would think of my son, I would feel this pit in my stomach because of the fact he's getting himself involved with a lot of crap. It might even make me look at my son with uh, an amount of I, 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 don't, I don't remorseful animosity, I would describe it. And if you would say that of anything else, then if, if you would say you would do something else, then I'm sorry, I would probably call you a liar. Because if your child is living in such a way that is just totally not okay by any metric, you're not going to look at them and go, oh, well, you know, they're just doing their best, so that's fine. No, you're going to look at them and be like, dude, knock it off. That's not okay. And God looks at that way when we live and relish in our sin. And mind you, that sin isn't just homosexuality. There are a lot of other sins. In fact, pride is seen as the worst sin, and I know a lot of proud Christians. So no, I'm not going to be taking this stance of, oh, this guy's he's fine with everything. You don't have to change anything. It's totally fine. But I'm also not going to be on the absolute insane right-wing new independent fundamental baptist movement calling up for the you know lynching of homosexuals like can we really not have a middle ground can we really not play this side of just you know either god loves absolutely everyone and there's never going to be a problem anything you can do whatever you want or why does it have to go from that to just just kill him in the street like i don't understand and i know so many people who just adhere to one or the other now, a lot of the people that adhere to, you know, the more strict right side is, are, they're not saying that, a lot of them are not actually calling for the death of homosexuals, but they're portraying it in such a hatred manner that they're basically killing them because Jesus said, if you have a hatred for a person in your heart, you're basically killing them. So even if you are, now there are actually some people that are calling for the execution of homosexuals and little Nas X for this stuff. But those that aren't and that still hold this amount of hatred and harbor this amount of resentful feelings towards Lil Nas or to any homosexual for that matter, it's just the same as killing them. And that needs to be something that you as a Christian repent of. 
That's that, that's not up for debate. That's not up for question. That's not up for this or that. That's just what it is. That's what the Bible says that it is. And I'm going to read exactly to you why right here in Matthew chapter 5. I know we've been reading a lot out of Matthew chapter 5 today, but just bear with me. Matthew chapter 5, all the way at the end at verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than the others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore you are to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect." So to start off with this, I'm, I'm going to say something that might upset my uh, my more independent fundamental Baptist friends, and I don't mean to, uh, but man, I love the New American Standard Bible. I I really do. I'm not a person that sticks to it, says it's the best version. Well, no, I will say it's the best version. It's my favorite version, at least. Um, but it, it, I just really, really like it. Uh, for one, there's several reasons why, but one of the reasons why is the fact that anytime you're in the New Testament and it quotes an Old Testament passage, it puts it in small caps. So it lets you know that, hey, this that I'm reading right here, right now, I can find this somewhere else back here, and it ties it together, and it, it, it creates a lot of harmony uh, in the old, between the Old and New Testament that more just not as avid readers would pick up on. And I think that that's really great. So when Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself and hate your enemy, that portion that says, you shall love your neighbor, that is in small caps. The portion that says, and hate your enemy, is not in small caps. So that means the Pharisees were adding to this law. Because the Pharisees were the ones that were saying, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But Christ is saying, no, 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 no. The law says, you shall love your neighbor. And that's the portion in small caps. And hate your enemy is not in small caps. And let me tell you, Christians, if you are sitting under a pastor that tells you that you need to go out there and be belligerent, militant, rude, and spiteful to homosexuals, you are under a false teacher and you need to leave that church. That person is not preaching the love of Christ. That person is not preaching the gospel. That person is preaching their hatred. They might have a proper understanding of salvation, but their exterior of that is not something that is honoring of God. And I, I would recommend that you rethink your attendance at that church. Do not add to the law of God. He calls us to be loving. He only called for that in the Old Testament, and Christ goes on to explain this further in the New Testament because he calls out their teachings specifically. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I want us to think a little bit for a second. Is Lil Nas X's Satan's shoes persecuting us? Hey, hey, just get in real close. No, they're not. And anybody that says otherwise is just a massive snowflake. I'm so sorry. I see the right, especially the Christian right, throw around this word snowflake all the daggone time. But when it comes to this stupid shoe, my goodness, you might as well just shot their child in the middle of their face and just 
just like dismember their corpse in front of them because that's what they're acting like. They're taking it as like a personal affront. Like Lil Nas X saw this one random Christian on Facebook and said, you know what? I'm making these shoes specifically to spite this one lady named Gertrude on Facebook. No, he's not. It's not, it's not directed towards you. He's not persecuting you. So people that view it as persecution need to stop. It's not persecution. And even if it was, you have to pray for them. Even if it was persecution, you still have to pray for all those that were involved in the shoe and Lil Nas X himself. Even if it was, you'd still have to pray. Even if they were your enemy. And they're not. They're not our enemies. They might be the enemies of God. That's what the Bible describes sinners. That's what we were. We were the enemies of God, Paul says. But they're not our enemies. Because I'm quite certain if you were ever in combat, your commanding officer would not tell you to go into battle and to give your enemy a hug to show your enemy love he would say show your enemy some ruthlessness show your enemy some fangs you feel me all right christ is saying no you need to go into battle and the enemies of god love on them care for them bring them in doesn't, have, doesn't mean you have to be close friends with them. Doesn't mean you have to be so buddy-buddy. You have to be just like them. Doesn't mean that your close counsel should be those who are in total confrontation to God himself. But what it does mean is that those who are sinning, those who are living in sin, should be brought in to a Savior that can forgive all that sin. Hey, let me tell you, Christian, before you were a Christian, you were a sinner on your way to hell. Let me tell you, Christian, before that you were a Christian, you were a sinner in the same boat as they were. You were drowning in the same waters as they were. You were the one surviving and trying to fight your way to heaven with all the futileness that they were as well. You are no better than they are. So who are you to be in such a state of condemnation on a person's soul when you should be the one getting the moat out of your own eye? Love your enemies. And mind you, if that's all it takes for a person to be our enemy is for them to mock God and create a stupid shoe, then we have really, really poor understandings of enemies. Because let me tell you, Paul was chained to guards whose sole job was to make sure that he could not go anywhere else in the world and preach the gospel of Christ. And Paul loved on these guards and his love that he had for those guards brought forth by the love of Christ and the Holy Spirit made the gospel go throughout the entire Praetorian guard. And that would not have happened otherwise. Let me tell you, when God gives you an opportunity to witness to a sinner and you don't do it because they're living in their sin and they're running away from God, you have failed as a Christian. If you do not show them, if you do not go through the Romans road with them and tell them, hey, 
Jesus Christ can save you from your sins because your sins are on your way, making you go on your way to hell and you cannot do anything else about it. Your sins are separating you from God and God wants to be rejoined with you today and you can do that now by grace through faith. If you're not using that as your first method of conversation to this wicked, wretched world, but instead you are shouting your preferences and your biblical standards on these people that have no understanding of spiritual things, then my friend, you are disappointing and you are failing God. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's what the Bible says. That's not me. That's what the Bible says. Why do we not live like that? Why do we not do that? Why do we not go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations? Why do we go into our churches and preach our own preferences? Mind you, preferences aren't bad, and preferences be based out of the Bible. Hey, it's going to be my preference as a pastor one day to not marry a gay, gay couple. That'll be my standard. I will not marry a gay couple. But if I get up there and talk about how much that I will not marry a gay couple without pointing them back to Christ, I have failed as a pastor. Love your enemies so that you may be the sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Hey, let me tell you, the reason why we're still on earth is for a mission. It's for a cause. If God really wanted to, the second that a person got saved, God would just snatch him back up to heaven. There be in his presence. He could totally do that. He could totally do that. But instead, he leaves us on earth for a purpose, for a mission. You know, God gave Noah a long time to build that ark. I, can't, I cannot remember the number off the top of my head, but it was just a ridiculous amount of time that Noah spent building that ark. And the Bible says that he was building and preaching. Nobody repented. Noah was still following the words of God. And he was begging people to repent. But it wasn't Noah's job to make people repent. It was Noah's job to preach. Let me tell you, your life preaches... Your life preaches the gospel. And if your life is full of vitriol and hatred and division and unkindness and hatred and a lack of mercy and a lack of gratefulness and a lack of anything else the Bible describes as good, then you are not preaching the gospel. And mind you, you're not preaching the gospel if you're just straight up not preaching the gospel. If you're not using your words to communicate the fact that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to get to heaven is through grace, through faith, then you're not preaching the gospel. You're living a fake Christianity. It's your job to go and make disciples. It's not your job to shove Lil Nas X's sins down his throat because that's the reason he made the song. The whole thing he pointed to was the fact that the American church is so focused on outward sins that they made him feel like such crap that he just threw away any type of belief in God. 
your job is not to condemn the world. That is the job of God. And he hasn't appointed that time yet. Our job for this time right now is to preach the gospel. Why do we expect the world to do good things? Why do we expect the world to do anything of benefit? It's the world. They don't understand the things of the Spirit. How are they supposed to understand things like homosexuality being a sin where they've bought into this worldly idea that love is love and that everything about homosexuality is fine? They don't have the workings of the Spirit to do these things. They just live. They just exist. They have no higher purpose or higher calling. And so what they try to make their own, and a lot of people find it in their sexual identity. It's what a lot of people do. We as Christians are supposed to point them to the one that can bring them fulfillment in their identity. We as Christians are supposed to bring them to the door. We are supposed to bring them to the Rose of Sharon. We are supposed to bring them to the Lamb of Life. We are supposed to bring them to any other thing that's supposed to be a euphemism for Jesus. We're supposed to bring them to Jesus. That's our job. Our job isn't anything else. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you because we are the sons of the Father. God totally could have just taken us up, but he didn't. He left us on here for a purpose. And also at the same time, God could have taken us up, but God can just kill any sinner he wants to at any time. He totally can just zap, they're done. But he doesn't. His mercies are new every morning. His love is so great, it extends to the unbeliever, the pagan, the idolater, the fornicator, the homosexual. It extends to every person that they have one more day to breathe, to believe. They get another chance every day. They get another chance every breath. And yet we waste our own breath. By preaching about things other than Christ. Have we seen the pain of the labor? Or have we wandered off and labored? Have we seen the joy in the reaping? Or have we sighed from our work with our sleeping? That's a wonderful, wonderful lyric from the Wolves at the Gig song, The Harvest. And it's so true about the American church. Shoot, just about the church in general. We're so content with hiding under in our little bubbles. We're so content with hiding under our steeples. It's pathetic. It's disgraceful. It's not the gospel. If, you, if we love people that just love us, if we look at people like Lil Nas X with contempt, with indignation, we're nothing like the world. The world gets mad at us because we say, hey, certain things are a sin. Let me tell you, homosexuality is a sin. I don't buy into this whole New Age crap where they just say that I, everything, everything's fine. We, we don't have to you know, try and be righteous because you know God loves people just so much. It's okay. I, no, I'm sorry. But as much as God is loving, he is righteous. And he does not want to have to exact his righteousness on people. 
You don't believe me? Here, turn in your Bible to, uh, what is it? What is it? Second Peter chapter 3. In verse 9, the Bible says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The Lord is slow about his promise. What is that promise? If you look in the earlier verses, it's talking about the coming day of the Lord. 2 Peter chapter 3 is referring to Jesus' second coming. And the reason Christ is being slow about his second coming is to be patient towards the unbelievers because he doesn't want anyone to go to hell. Could you please wrap your mind around that American church? Could you please wrap your mind about that global church? God doesn't want anyone to perish, so why are we ignoring people who are perishing? Why do we look at things like Lil Nas X's absolutely garbage music video and just only feel contempt for the man? Why do we not why do our hearts not break with godly sorrow? The Bible tells us to feel this godly sorrow for our sins, but I would dare say that we also need to feel the godly sorrow for other sins as well. Let me tell you, God loves Lil Nas X. Let me tell you, God loves the people that made the Satan shoes. Let me tell you, God loved me when I was a sinner. But God shows us love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We say we believe that, but we don't act like it. And that's the reason Lil Nas X made the song. As we wrap up, I want to tell you guys, I'm not angry at the world. How could I be? I expect them to act like this. I expect them to relish in their sin. Why would they not? To their mind, there is no God. The Bible says that fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But to them, there is no God. And so they look at people like us who believe in a God and say, look at these idiots. They're not having as much fun as we are, all for the sake of some magic sky daddy. But they don't know. They don't know. We need to have the attitude of Christ as he was literally being nailed to a cross to die in the most painful way that probably one could die. While he was getting nailed to that cross that would cause him great suffering, he was saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Hey, listen, they don't know what they're doing. When Lil Nas X shows himself giving a lap dance to Satan, he doesn't know. There's no joy in hell. It's entirely separation from God. It is torture. It's torture enough being entirely separated from God, but it's a place of judgment for sins. It's a place of condemnation. It's a real place. And it's a place God wants no one to go to. It's a place God doesn't want it God doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants all men to be saved. So can we please get it through our head that we have been giving a task to lead them to the one that can save their souls, like how he saved ours? Come on, guys. I hold more disappointment, 
for churches that refuse to go preach the gospel to the heathenous nation that we live in because they're uncomfortable with being surrounded by people that live in sin. I'm more upset with those people than I am upset at the people that live in the sin. 10 out of 10, 11 out of 10 times. 11 out of 10 times would I be upset with a person that claims no love Christ and then not share the love of Christ with that person that's wallowing in their sin. Let me tell you, there's rejoicing in heaven for any sinner that repents. And that includes Lonas. So as we conclude today, guys, I'm not asking you to go out there and be in support of sin. I'm asking you, I'm asking you, to condemn sin. And first and foremost, I want you to start with your sin of neglecting to make disciples, of your refusal to share the gospel, of your refusal to show the love of Christ, of your refusal to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's the sin that I want you to stand against first and foremost. Pull that moat out of your eye. Because let me tell you, that's the biggest moat you got. When Christ talks about that parable where he gave the servants the talents, which was a type of currency, and the one servant went and dug a hole in the ground and put the talent in there because he was afraid. He didn't know when his master was going to come back, so he just wanted to keep the talent for himself and not risk anything with it. Hey, that was showing, that was meant to portray Israel with the gospel. They did not take the message of God into all the lands. Even when Christ himself came, they rejected him. They buried the talent. They buried Christ. We need to make sure we're not like ancient Israel and bury the town of Christ. We need to go out into the world like the other two servants who produced fivefold or twofold. Take the talents and produce with it. Take Christ and add people to the church. Take Christ and preach the gospel. Make converts. Make disciples. That's your job. Your job isn't to change the gaze. It's to make the sinner a saint. And will a sinner who's saved by grace come out of that sin, I pray I pray so. Some struggle more with that. But you cannot first get them out of their sin to get them to the Savior. You must get them in the Savior to get the sin out of them. And there's no other way that that can happen without our loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us. Thank you so much for tuning in to Little Light Devotions. If you'd like to find all of my contact info, social info, and locations to find my podcast, please go to linkapp.com slash AC underscore LL. That's L-I-N-Q-A-P-P dot com slash AC underscore LL. God bless you. I love you. I'll see you next time.